0: a beautiful wednesday morning i hear these beautiful mornings might soon be leaving us as the heat inevitably rolls in as it always does this time of year but we're going to enjoy this time thanks if you're joining us wherever you are pastor paul we are going to be diving into matthew chapter 8 this morning and let me pray for us and ask for god's help um, to apply his word to our hearts today lord jesus Um, Give us a sense of wonderment and awe this morning. Lord, help us not to take for granted what many, many have died and shed their blood and tears for, which is your word, which is the ability to come before you and freedom of conscience. And we don't want to ever take that for granted. Lord, we do. We confess that. But Lord, give us new eyes of wonder um, this morning. That help us to see wondrous things in your word and we ask these things um, in your name in Jesus Christ's name Amen all right we have been we just navigated Sermon on the Mount and here in Matthew 8 Matthew shifts from what Jesus has been saying or what he has said to what Jesus does in other words as Jesus is exercising his authority by his teaching by his words his preaching The crowds are amazed at his understanding now we shift to what does jesus do how does he demonstrate his power and authority and his sovereignty and him being god's chosen one and so chapter eight is full of miracles and exorcisms and healings and all sorts of cool uh, signs and wonders and sometimes though we can have a misunderstanding of what these passages do or even a misunderstanding of the nature of the ministry of jesus a lot of times and we i saw we saw this didn't we you know 10 15 20 years ago with the what would jesus do movement you know that jesus went around helping people that that was kind of his primary mission to to help to fix societal ills and we need to be like Jesus, too. We need to serve like Jesus. We need to advocate like Jesus. And, of course, there's a heap helping, as we say in East Tennessee, of truth in that. Um, that Very much that's part of what it means to follow Jesus and to, to be like Jesus, to imitate him, to bring compassion and service and and, and justice to people in situations all around us. Fundamentally true. Yet we're not like Jesus, right? In so many ways, we, we don't calm the, the storm and we don't, we don't heal the, the, the leper and you know, on and on. There, there's obviously limitations, which, which tells us that there's more to this that Matthew wants us to get than simply be like Jesus or that Jesus was this kind of miracle worker and, and sort of magician, spiritual magician going around doing good. Um, there's something much more fundamental at stake at the heart of these amazing miracles and things that we're seeing happening unfold in the Gospel of Matthew and we get a clue about this um, in verse 4 look at verse 4 Jesus has just cleansed this leper and then he tells him see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them Now that's an interesting statement go tell no one if it was Jesus's primary mission to to fix what's wrong, to put band-aids on physical wounds. What a strange thing to, to say. You would think that he would want this leper telling everyone and that everyone would come for healing. But in fact he tells he instructs him to tell no one. And that's because Jesus knows that people's conceptions of the Messiah were still primarily ones of a physical national hero, someone who would come and set up reign, someone who would come and and order their civil and physical lives under under the Messiah's reign and authority to free the people from the Roman captors. But Jesus here hints that obviously he has an entirely different mission. Jesus knows that he could gain continued popularity and would if all he did was heal. But however he has a different mission does he not or, a, or an additional mission a primary mission which is to seek and save that which is lost to die a death on a roman cross and so jesus is not interested in the acclaim and the accolades that come from all these healings and the popularity which inevitably happens um, this is around the same time matthew doesn't record this miracle but it's at around the same time that jesus feeds the five they they're wanting to make him king and and so so this is how we are to understand jesus's warning to um this leper what we rather have i think in matthew 8 is we've had jesus's inaugural address okay his proclamation of the life and the coming of the kingdom in the sermon on the mount and now he's coming down off the mountain and it's kind of like his first hundred days right it's, it, it's the opportunity for Jesus to demonstrate that he is inaugurating the kingdom. Um, people are following him, and he's obviously performing these signs and wonders, but it's, it's to signify that Jesus is bringing his rule and his reign into every crevice of every aspect of culture and society. Uh, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is Lord, he is sovereign, he is the chosen Messiah, as demonstrated by the fact that he is greater than any other thing that might rise up in opposition to him. So that's why we see him in the first four four verses, he heals a leper. And then we see him healing a paralytic. And then we see him healing those who are dear to him, Peter's mother-in-law. We see him calming a storm, it shows us that Jesus is greater than the weather, greater than natural disasters. It, the chapter ends with him performing this exorcism and, and all of this again is to communicate that Jesus is Lord over disease, he's Lord over illness, he's Lord over the natural physical world, he's Lord over the spiritual Lord and, and what's Matthew's point here? He wants to be your Lord well in fact he is your Lord the, 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 the challenge is do we recognize it, do we follow it, do we submit our lives to it and part of what Matthew wants us to continually ask, and it's almost a rhetorical question, is where does this sort of authority come from? Where did this man come from? And and obviously the answer over and over again is that he comes from God. He is God's anointed. He is his chosen Messiah. And, and this is why I think the story um, of the faith of a centurion is key in terms of it providing an interpretive grid for us, okay? So, so let's look there for, for a moment and camp out on this, on this passage. So it says when he had entered Capernaum, now remember Capernaum was Jesus' new adopted home, um, probably because this is where um, Peter and James and others lived. In fact, if you go visit Capernaum on the sea, the shores of Galilee, which we did a couple of years ago with some four oaks folks you can see the remains of peter's mother-in-law's house in fact there was probably a an early church that began to meet there in that home and this brings the historicity and the authenticity of all this alive you can still see the remains of the synagogue that jesus would teach him but anyway when jesus comes into capernaum a centurion comes to him and asks him to heal His servant or would he be willing to heal his servant remember the the centurion is a Gentile is a pagan Uh, Lord my servant is lying paralyzed suffering terribly and then Jesus says I will come and heal him and then then the centurion says something very interesting verse 8 but the centurion replied Lord I am not worthy to have you come under my roof but only say the word and my servant will be healed now here's the key verse I think of the chapter verse 9 for I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So so, what's happening here? What is What is Matthew wanting to communicate to us? What does Jesus mean? I or the centurion I too of a man um, under authority. What the centurion seems to be saying is he is a man under authority and so his soldiers do what he says, he's a powerful man. Yet his power as a centurion, as a head of of the Praetorian Guard is a derived authority. The reason the, the people or the men respect his authority is because he too Is a man under authority which would ultimately of course be Caesar the most powerful human in the world in other words there is an obedience there is an authority that's derived because of who stands behind him okay and he's saying Jesus I know that you're not just merely a powerful person who has authority who you're not merely a magician or a miracle worker you're not simply someone who has authority over these different things like I have authority over my men. You have authority, you have power because of who stands behind you. Because of the power that's that's anointed you, which of course is God's authority. This is again Matthew's way of saying Jesus is not just a good dude. Jesus is God's anointed. Jesus is God's Messiah. Jesus is the coming King who, who calls all to bow their knee and submit to him because he's not just a regular guy. He in fact is the God of the universe. And for a season he has accommodated himself to human reality. He's become man without ceasing to be God um, so that he can bring the good news and ultimately die the sinner's death on our behalf. So, so what are we to, to, to learn from this? Okay, One, as much as Jesus, by following his rules, his laws, being obedient, while, while there is blessing in that and fruit in that, um, ultimately in this life we still have trouble. So Jesus' primary, primary mission is not to fix what is wrong in a temporal sense. We know ultimately he will fix everything that's wrong. But in this first go around before his second coming, his, his, his mission is primarily spiritual to fix what is wrong in men's hearts. We absolutely should follow behind him and where we can um, stand up against racism and justice, advocate for the poor, just as Jesus did. But we have to remember um, before the second coming, this is, that, that is the, the primary mission, okay, is the gospel. Um, This also tells us that that Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. He he acts on behalf of the sovereign God. He is the sovereign God and Lord of the universe, and it's to him that we worship and bend our knee. Now, Jesus ends this little story with an interesting um, couple of statements, and we have to kind of wonder what this is. He says, first of all, again, verse 10, no one in Israel have I found such faith. In other words, here is a man, a centurion, responding in faith, recognizing who I am and my authority and who and my messiahship, and he is surpassing all the people of Israel who I have come first to preach the good news to. In fact, let's look at verse 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west, in other words, pagans, gentiles, and recline at table with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom in other words the ethnic Israelites will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth so here even here even though Matthew is writing a very Jewish gospel for Jewish Christians he's wanting to communicate to him to them That Jesus has not come merely to save the lost sheep of Israel. He has come to save the world. And he is demonstrating his um, worthiness by, by exercising power over all these different realms of life and human existence and disease and illness and weather and Satan. And again, the point is Christian or seeker or whoever happens to be reading this. Just as this centurion recognized the true authority of Jesus and bowed his knee, you too, you too um, should know that this is why I have come. Yes, to ultimately set things, in, set things aright, set things in order, to put, thing, put everything under my subjection and rule and realm and, and reign. But first, I have to die. That's my first mission. There's no, there's no nothing to rejoice about the coming kingdom of God, right? If we don't know the intentions of the King that's coming, um, returning home, is he coming to punish? Is he coming to demonstrate his wrath? Is he what's he coming to do? But by virtue of his death, we can have confidence that not only are we a part of the kingdom of Christ, but that he has wed himself to us by dying for us as the suffering. King. And so just all kinds of great stuff here in Matthew chapter 8. Think on it, pray on it, meditate on it today, Four Oaks. And we'll be back here same time, same station tomorrow, Matthew chapter 9. And a little bit of Matthew's autobiography. Let's pray. Lord, we want to acknowledge that you are Lord. You are King of Kings. You You are over all. There is nothing, nothing um, that you have not in, set in subjection under your rule and your reign and your feet. And so, Lord, we want to follow suit um, with this centurion and bow our knee in humble submission, recognizing that you are the king who has come to do us good by dying on the cross for our sins so that we might be a part of your kingdom forever. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.